creators of Relevant Magazine, this is The Relevant Podcast. It's Tuesday, August 20th, 2019, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studios, he showed up on time today on the ones and twos, our illustrious brother, Chandler Strang. Hello. On the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. Uh, From Nashville, Tennessee, author, speaker, podcaster, cowgirl extraordinaire, Annie F. Downs. Good morning, gents. And joining us for the whole show today, the opening music might have given it away, joining us from Charlotte, North Carolina singer, songwriter, prolific artist, our friend, John Mark McMillan. Hello. Uh, How's it going very ex- Good. We are excited to have you sit in for the show today. Thanks for doing this, man. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a treat. I have a little note here that your album, Economy, is now available on vinyl. It is. It is finally available on vinyl. It's like, didn't it come out seven years ago? Yeah. Uh, oh, it came out in 2011. So what is that? Oh, wow. Oh, wow, yeah. Eight would be the quick math on that. I know. Yeah, yeah, the vinyl presses take a long time to warm up, and now that they are. (laughs) (laughs) They do. It's very cool. You're also doing, like, handwritten lyrics, right? Or was that, like, a one-time promotion? I saw it on Twitter, but is that... People seem to like that, so I threw that in as sort of like a package deal, you know? Like, so, um, so if you order the vinyl, you also get a handwritten uh, uh, lyrical note from you. Is that how it works? Well, it's actually I probably I did this. I think maybe ten of these, just ten, where I actually hand wrote the lyrics to the song. So, oh my gosh, did it wear you out? Yeah, it does. It's a lot. My hand hurts, yeah. and I never I don't write much anymore. It's all on the thing, you know. And like I had to re remember cursive and you know. dude. I I recently wrote a response to uh, I I don't know. It might have just been writing a check to be honest with you. And I never <laughs> I never write anything by hand. And I'm like. My God, this handwriting is terrible. This is like <laughs> a child who is using his opposite hand, like a like a right-handed child using his left hand. That's what my check writing looked like. So <laughs> I feel your pain there, John Mark. Coming up later on the show, we are joined also by Lisa Sharon Harper. Uh, she's an author, speaker, and activist. She was one of the 40 uh, leaders uh, that we spoke to for the roundtable conversations in the 100th issue of Relevant. So Lisa Sharon Harper is coming up later. Look at that. This is a packed. This is a packed show. Yeah, How do you I hit her? John Mark, I got one more question about the album yes. promotion thing. Is it like a golden ticket thing, like from The Office, <laughs> where Michael Scott like slipped them in ten select boxes, or 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 do people know if they're gonna get the 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 one of the ten handwritten notes? People know. It's a very oh, specific okay. package. Yeah, it was oh, a very okay. specific price point that they yes, paid. very specific yeah. price point. Just trying to create some interesting, you know. Did they pick the new- songs, John Mark, or did you pick the songs? I, I picked the song. So I, I picked two. The two I thought were probably the most popular. Oh, yeah. There you go. That's cool. Uh, I have a question. What do I, this, I think about this from time to time. An artist like you, like not just you, but artists like you, professional, you're popular, you tour, you create albums, but the, but your albums are a couple years apart from each other. Yes. And you're not on the road all the time. What do you do? Like to fill, oh like to fill your time. Like when you get up on a Monday morning. Yep. Do you get up on a Monday morning? You know, like I think about this. Like I have to come to is, work. Is it write twelve songs by lunch every day? 
Is that the process? <laughs> Do you have a structure or because oh, I, I feel like if I had your lifestyle, I would get absolutely nothing done at all ever. <laughs> Some days I feel like I get nothing done <laughs> for sure. No, it's different in different seasons. Like right now I'm trying to finish a record. So like I actually had to clear some time today, not just for the podcast, but just because I realized I was spending so much time in the studio. When you're in the studio, you can't do anything. Else. Right. You know, because like I can't, um, you know, I've got musicians that I've paid to be in the studio and I've got a producer there and we're working, you know, eight, nine hours a day on the record. Like I can't be in the back on my laptop. I mean, this has happened before and this is terrible, but I mean, you know, you're sitting on the couch on my laptop and they work on something for like 25, 30 minutes. And I look up, I'm like, Oh guys, it's terrible. It's like, you gotta have to do it again. You know, I should have like, so, should, said something five minutes in when I heard how terrible that was right yeah. in the middle of an email here. Just to let you know. Can it exactly. Terrible. I'm, I'm posting on Instagram guys. I'm so sorry. I missed that. You just played your heart out and it sucks. And um, you're going to have to do it again. And I'm sorry I didn't give you direction like an hour ago when you were, you know. But that time is wasted, yeah. I know. So I have to actually clear time. And, like, there's an odd amount of administration that actually hmm. um, goes on for a music artist, um, you know. And then, like, nowadays you're supposed to post all the time. And I'm trying to get my head around that. They're like, you should post on Instagram twice a day. And you need seven to 11 stories and you're supposed to be active on Twitter. And now LinkedIn is like a thing. Like, yeah, business people <laughs> like your music too. So you should be on LinkedIn. I'm like, how do I do that? Like, I, am I, like, Dude, I can't I be it. an artist yeah. and full-time social media guru. Yeah. You know? And so, I, I have a question too, like about yes. the LinkedIn specifically. Like, so that's targeting music fans who happen to be like, you know, CPA is also looking professionals for looking for a new job. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> here's my here's a playlist of my most professional songs. Here you go. <laughs> exactly. exactly. If you listen to me before the interview, you're gonna get the job. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, th th these would all make a very good upgrade for the hold music for your HR department. Here you go, LinkedIn. There you go. <laughs> we've uh we've been you know listeners know we've been fans of John Marks for years and years, and he's been on the show show several times he's played games with us he's 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 a good sport but for those of you who maybe missed those episodes we thought it'd be good to start things off oh, by doing heart. by doing some get to know you questions <laughs> with our it. friend John Mark McMillan I randomly selected a chunk of table topics cards I I in no way pre-selected these with you and yeah, Mark <laughs> and, and let me let me preface this too, John Mark. These either these cards are ev are either like delightful and a lot of fun, like year old like cell group Bible study days when you you know what was your favorite you know what did you want to be when you were a kid or, or very awkward and personal. They're random, so we don't know which ones you're gonna. <laughs> yeah. I hope that's okay. All right. So the very uh, here's the first question. Ready, John Mark Millen? Yes. Uh, do you have more mother or father issues? <laughs> Oh my wow. gosh, Cameron. <laughs> more mother or father issues. Uh, I would have to say more father issues probably, but it's going to think really hard about it. Oh gosh. How deep do you want to go guys? Hey, let's, we're just hey, getting to know you. Start it off. <laughs> I should, you should know this, that, that question is specifically asking about mother and father magazine and how many issues you have. Oh my were you gosh. thinking something <laughs> else? <laughs> I, well, first of all, I have a great relationship with both of my parents. 
I have a great relationship with both of my parents. But if I have to answer the question, I immately I'd say I have more father issues. Mm, I'm a lot like my dad, which is Mm, great. And also, then sometimes I'm like, oh man, I'm turning into my dad. But I also, the other day I realized that my my mom is like the greatest person who ever existed. Like she is the Hmm. sweetest, most awesome person. I also realized she also packed my lunch until I was a senior in high school. And (laughs) she would do my laundry now. If I <laughs> now that I have kids, I realized, oh man, my mom has been like my greatest support, and <laughs> also she may be, uh, she may have caused some issues with me and my wife because my wife does not <laughs> pack my lunch, <laughs> and she she does not love doing my laundry. She does my laundry some, but she does my laundry all the time. Yeah, but so I don't know. So maybe the. The honest answer is, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I've got issues with both of them and they're awesome though. Do you look more often for the tragedy and comedy or the comedy and tragedy? Mm. I'm always looking for the tragedy. I'm like, I'm like hopeless when it comes to that. Like I, I like to um, entertain negative emotions for recreation. Sometimes it's terrible. I'm just (laughs) like, what's your Enneagram number, John Mark? I'm a, I'm a four. I'm an Enneagram. Yeah, for sure. You're a four. Yeah. What's the four again? I can't ever remember the, the labels. Need to be special. The artists. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. The people with swoopy hair and And the people who will entertain sadness for fun. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> who who recreationally, recreationally like to be sad and angry. That's hundred percent. It seems like such a cliche, doesn't it? I know. I am a cliche. <laughs> what was the last big risk you took? The last big risk that I took. I'll, 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 I mean, I'll, I know this wasn't directed at me, but I've invested a lot in the last mega millions and uh, didn't work out. But uh, it was a significant risk for me and my family that didn't pan out. So, you know, we're all there. We've all done it. We've all done it. I, I won $700 in a casino one time. I'm not really oh, wow. into gambling, but we were we did a show at a casino and there's, um, you know, they had the slot machines and stuff and. And I'm really not into gambling. And so I was like, you should come play with us. I'm like, I don't really, I don't really gamble. So someone actually gave me some money. I was yeah. like, all right, well, I'll gamble with your money. And it was yeah. time to leave. They're like, we got to go in 20 minutes. I'm like, all right, let me just finish losing my friend's money here. And I'm going to, yeah, right. And I won $700, right. Wow. In 20 minutes. Did you I won keep it or did you give it back awesome. to him? Well, so the next casino, I was like, well, I won $700. So I have at least $700 to lose. I lost all $700. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. What was the game, just out of curiosity, that you won all your, your, your money on? It was roulette. Roulette. There oh, you nice. go. Nice. It gave yep. a chance. Yeah. I know. I um, like Annie, you're, you're, biggest re- you're about to do it, right? You're going off the road. and Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm off the road for, I don't travel again until January 6th. Wow. That's a pretty big yeah. risk. Yeah. yeah. You didn't tell my bank account that. I know. <laughs> you should start going to casinos with John Mark. I know. I tell my guy, some money I need you to go, go handle. At one casino, not two. One casino. Yeah. It's always the second one. Uh, what secret superpower would you like to have? Oh, what man. Secret superpower. Secret superpower. I think it would be awesome to be really, really strong. Yeah, not very exciting though. I could like, like, do you want to look? Keep talking. You want to like be like? Do you want to look strong? Yeah, like those massive guys who look uncomfortable because their neck is the size of a leg, or like, do you just want to have the strength but have your current physique? 
I would like someone, I'd like to make, I'd like to be able to make someone really mad and have them punch me and it hurt their hand. <laughs> I think that would be oh, really, okay. really That's a good fun. description. That's a really strong description of the level of strength. Yeah, yeah. I, that's perfect. Yeah, no, I used to have friends who used to like to go out and fight. I don't like to fight. I don't like to fight. But every now and then, someone is just acting a fool in line, you know, at the grocery yeah. store or something. I'd really like to just say something and have them punch me and it hurt. I think <laughs> at the grocery store. I love, I, I love that. That's where most of your confrontations happen. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I got one, one quick story related to someone punching and getting hurt. So uh, I have some friends who are big, they, they live in New York and they're huge fans of the New York Jets, the football team. And they bought an old like bread truck, right? And they painted it green and they painted the Jets logo on the side and they, and they loaded it with like old, junky living room equipment and like a generator that they got from like thrift stores and they never go to the games, but they always tailgate at the games and set up a living room outside to watch. Okay. So they have the bread truck. They have like, it looks like an eighties living room just in the middle of a parking lot where they're watching. And they, they, they came across like one of those heavy bags, like the old boxing bags, you know, but not the speed bags, not like the Muhammad Ali one. One of those big one that's like, you know, five feet long and hangs from a chain. And if you punch it as hard as you can, it barely moves. Right. right. So they, they were, the Jets were playing the Patriots who's their big rival. And they put a Tom Brady Jersey on the, the, the punching bag and put a, you know, a cutout picture of Tom Brady's face on the punching bag. People could go by and take a shot. But remember this bag is super, super heavy and barely moves no matter how hard you hit it. So they said this one Jets fan came storming across the parking lot and screamed at the Tom Brady dummy. I hate you. And he ran up and he roundhouse kicked it <laughs> as no. hard as he can. Right. Straight shin to Tom Brady's paper face on the punching bag. They said that he kicked it as hard as he could. The bag barely. It looked like a, a, a slight breeze blew by. It barely <laughs> moved. Like all the impact was absorbed into this guy's leg. They said the guy was down for about 10 minutes before he limped away. So <laughs> all that to say, John Mark, it's a great it's a great superpower and i hope you get it yeah uh john mark to what degree does the daily news affect your mood oh man i think at this point i'm numb to the daily news yeah i'm just sort of numb i feel like i can tell you the news before i open it up in that the in that dangerous it's dangerous dangerous. yeah and a lot of the news is really really bad too so i mean this sounds terrible but i feel like somebody has hurt somebody else somebody's mad at somebody uh you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's all the same stuff, right? Yeah. Trump yeah. said something and everyone's mad, and someone said something back to Trump and everyone's mad, and everyone's mad and everyone's mad, and the media is spying <laughs> on me and everyone's mad about that. And, um, yeah. but <laughs> no one seems to care because they keep it up. And that, you know? that's, that's the crazy right. thing. It's like we're all just numb to it. And it's like, wait a second, this isn't normal what's happening in America no, right now. It's yeah. not. And I mean, just to get more, you know, not to get too serious, but, you know, there's a shooting. I'm like, of course there was. I hate that I felt that way. Right. Yeah. Like people got killed. It's like, well, of course, this is just happening all the time. Right. It's just terrible. I I felt that way. And I felt really guilty for feeling that way. But I've almost got the point. I used to try and post about stuff like that, but I just stopped. I was like, I can't post about it every day. I don't have anything else to say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And maybe I should dig deep down and say something, but. (laughs) 
when you when you post about stuff like that, do you what's generally feedback? Because you probably your uh, you know your listenership and your fans probably run the spectrum of political views and uh, you know ideas about social things and you know yeah. are probably across the spectrum even with how they identify their personal faith. What's generally like the reaction, or do you even do you even like look at the responses and replies? It's usually a, an all out screaming match whenever yeah. I post yeah. about politics. <laughs> The the most venomous ones, surprisingly, LinkedIn. His LinkedIn followers. <laughs> Is it <there? laughs> terrible? Do you ever do you ever like Here's look at those LinkedIn replies it. and then you just get so mad you go to the grocery store and pick a fight because I'm there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, are you generous or cheap with yourself? Generous or cheap with yourself? With myself, as in like, do I'm pretty generous with myself. There you go. Yeah, I try to be. I really do want to be generous towards everybody. Um, myself included. So that's one of my goals in life is to learn how to be generous. I, I try to be a good tipper. I try to, you know, treat people the way I want to be treated most of the time. And I'm also really good at identifying my own needs. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so I, I try to, yeah, I try to be generous with myself. You were generous with that second casino. You just went and gave him $700. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the, the biggest lie you told yourself as a child? Biggest lie I told me. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I misread it. What's the biggest lie you told as a child? There you go. I misread it. <laughs> this oh, isn't yeah. about well, your inner demons. This is about actually lying to your parents or something. Yes. No, the biggest lie I ever told that I can think of at the moment, because I was a terrible liar, a terrible <laughs> liar. I always felt so bad. Even even today, I feel so bad. Oh, really? You're bad at lying. Pulled over I, for speeding. Uh, Sarah's like, tell him, tell him you were whatever. I was like, no, I wasn't, though. I was, I can't do it. But <laughs> I did tell some of my friends that I hit a Grand Slam home run and won the game. It was the like, <laughs> most ridiculous lie ever, but I just got rolling. You know, you ever just get yeah. started? And you it get just... stuck with it. I, in fourth grade, I told a girl that we had a limo. For some reason, and then oh, it's like oh, pretty oh, obvious. Wait, wait, like, do you had a limo or you had a limo driver? Because it's two different no, things. Because no. if you tell your friend you have a limo, that means oh, it's nothing wrong with it. But that means you're probably you know you got a limo driver in your family. <laughs> but if you have a driver, that's a totally different lie. Yeah, no, I, I told her that we had a limo, and then she knew that we didn't have a limo because my parents picked me up. You know, I mean, it's like. <laughs> It was a dumb lie, but you gotta you gotta double down. You gotta <laughs> double down. You gotta flex. Okay. You know? What did you? Did, were you asking her to go somewhere with you, Cameron? No, I think I was just trying to impress her. Uh, <laughs> I, listen, listen. I I I think in both of your guys' cases, the the grand the grand slam that never happened, or the limo that your parents don't own. You know, they didn't own it yet, and the grand slam didn't happen yet. You were speaking it into existence, brothers. That's how yes. this works. Crap you just dollar. throw it out on the mood board <laughs> and just let it come. You might as well have hit that grand slam. You spoke it into the universe, you know? So uh-huh. I don't got to be for that. Technically, I did hit the grand slam. It's just I didn't touch home plate when I got home. I was so stoked. <gasps> so, And it was Whoa. the third out. So I actually lost the game, but I decided to oh, ignore that. Oh, my gosh. I thought, you know. Is that true? <laughs> Yes, that is true. All the other details worked. So I was like, let's just ignore the fact that I didn't touch home plate and that <laughs> I got out. And then that was the end of the Because Man, that's a very sneaky lie because you're lying, but you're lying and telling the truth at the same time. And how old were you at the time? I was probably 12. 
What a savage umpire of a 12-year-old's baseball game. That won't be like, yes, what, you would do touch the, the exact plate. same if you were the umpire. Oh, no way I, would you let would, that go. I, and then I would, I would throw every parent that had a word with me out of there for the season. 100% you would. <laughs> Looking back, I might have actually touched the home plate. Because I don't know why I would have not touched home plate. But they told yeah. me that I didn't touch home plate. And I would have. Oh, was he a dad on the other team that. or something? I love that 25 years later, you are still thinking about it. Still thinking you may have touched. Yeah. I may have touched home plate. I know. We'll think about that. Like that umpire stole (laughs) one of the greatest stories I could have ever told my friends. Right. And to this day, I've actually told that story and it's been a lie. And I have dealt with shame my entire life. Wow. He's Owie. I know. And so I I recreated history. Yeah. um, To, to, battle that shame. I, I recreated history to where it was a grand slam. And I probably believed it at some point, but looking I, back, I was like, I told I, my friends that I did that. I like, I, I didn't, I actually didn't do that. Like you, I didn't even you think could about probably, it at the time. You could probably pass a lie detector test. Like you've told it so many times you actually start to believe it. Like, exactly. I mean, there are certain leaders right now that tell so many lies that <laughs> know. you know that they actually probably believe them, you know? know. So, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I read an article recently about how faulty our memories actually are. Yeah, and like most of our memory is actually us telling ourselves the story. And so it's like years later, it's like third, fourth, fifth hand. It's like you told yourself and then you remind yourself. You really just That's remember terrifying. you telling yourself the memory. Yeah. But a lot of our memories are totally wrong. Yeah. That's why when I watch a lot of these like documentaries and stuff about things that happened, you know, 50 years ago, whatever, and they're mm-hmm. interviewing these elderly people to re- recreating or recounting this exact moment from World War II or escaping this or that, whatever. Yeah. I'm going, I can't remember what I did last Thursday with yeah. any clarity. You're you're telling me you remember Minutia from 70 years ago that like, I, I don't believe it. Well, that, I agree. that was yeah. that, that was the beauty. Uh, did any of you guys watch the Bob Dylan documentary that Martin Scorsese did recently on that was released in Netflix? I haven't yet. Maybe. I watched half of it and I loved it. And I just haven't started the second half. I was falling asleep, not because it wasn't awesome, but because it was late. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to stop this because I'm not going to sleep through the end. I got to watch it. Yeah. Like the concept is really interesting because it basically plays on that idea. It's like, what's the difference? But, uh, you know, after a certain amount of time, what's the difference between what really happened and what should have happened or what we think might have happened? Because it's a documentary about this tour that uh, he did that was really interesting uh, at a really different, at a really interesting time in American history and him in his career as an artist. But they just weave in interviews with people who weren't there. And a lot of the things they talk about didn't actually happen. And like yeah. Sharon Stone, like has like an interview where she talks about being like a roadie, but she was never there. She wasn't even like in that part of the country what? at the time. And, but it, it's Bob Dylan. And that's what he always does is messes with the audience's expectations yeah. of what reality actually is. But he just plays on that idea. It's like so much time has passed. Who cares? What's going to be the better story? Story. And that's yep. kind of the fun of that documentary. Well, th- that's how John Mark Millen lives his life, you know? Totally. I mean, what's the better story? Let's just double down on that one. You, John Mark, <laughs> you should have gone George exactly. Brett ballistic on that umpire. You should have stormed out of that little league dugout, like chucked the Gatorade bucket out in the field, you know, picked up the bases and just, you know, throw them over the fence. Just really just let him have it. Really create a memory no one's going to forget. <laughs> you know, did you see the interview with, um, David Letterman and Jay-Z on the Netflix special. And, you know, David Letterman's like, well, this is really like, um, you know, autobiographical. And Jay-Z's like, no, 
He's like, hip hop is not autobiographical. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, it's lies. It's all lies. He's like, you mean this stuff didn't really happen? He's like, no, it's entertainment. Yeah. You know, I, I heard uh, Joe Rogan and um, Jim Gaffigan talking the other night about how like comedians used to be able to lie. They weren't lying to deceive you, but it's just the lie is more funny. You know, and now it's like people get mad. They're like, I know that's not your girlfriend. I know you weren't there. I know this didn't happen. Like, yeah, but it was funny. Yeah. You know, right. Social media is ruining entertainment. Now everything has to actually happen and be real. It's like, I think sometimes the less (laughs) real things are more funny or more interesting. Right. Oh, wait a second. though. And you can learn more (laughs) from them, really, because people have thought about it. And it's even funny, Cameron and I were talking about this the other day, specifically with Jim Gaffigan. It's like when you listen to that Rogan interview, or really you listen to him anytime he's off stage, you realize how much of the person that he is on stage is like this persona. And it's like this like sitcom character version of Jim Gaffigan that's not actually a whole lot like the real dude. And it's like even that that persona and that identity is technically a quote unquote lie, but it doesn't really matter because he's out. He's doing comedy. It's meant to be funny. It's not meant to like, you know, document history. Well, and he's going to have to. I mean, his whole thing is like, I'm a schlub who sits on the couch and I eat Hot Pockets. But in the last three years, he's made $80 million and they live in a very and and they have like five kids and their whole thing was like five kids, Catholic family in a two-bedroom apartment in New York City. They now have moved to a very nice part of New York because they're wealthy. And I'm going, the life that his everyman kind of schlub kind of thing isn't the reality of his life anymore. And I'm kind of saying to Jesse, like, I don't know where he's going to get his material from in the next five, 10 years. You know what I mean? He just Mm -hmm. doesn't have that relatable life experience. So he's going to have to live a fictitious persona yeah. I mean, he, mm. he's still chubby yeah. though so that's a lot of a lot of his jokes <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but, but it's like it's like Damn kevin james the best kevin james is like funny as a ups driver because everyone knows that dude who's like him but when he's like in a movie with the rock it's like okay the persona doesn't really hold up like, we get it, man. you've arrived you're doing pretty well we're gonna move to jim gaffigan now that guy still likes hot pockets so <laughs> all right uh last couple what are the best and worst things about being an adult oh gosh Oh, that's a great question, uh, the Cameron. Best and worst things about being an adult. I think the best thing about being an adult is you get to pick your own bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> Early that's or true. late, either yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was I was just thinking about that with my kids. Like they don't get to pick their own bedtime. Like they always it doesn't matter if something fun is happening, it doesn't matter what's going on, like you are going to bed. Yeah. You are definitely going to bed. Right. And so I can sort of make that the worst part about being an adult is that you have to get up (laughs) no matter what you do, no matter what time you pick, you know, like you're going to have to get up. I I think the best part of being a kid is when you go pick fights at the grocery store, the consequences aren't that great. Now I've, I've seen, I've seen the era of doing that uh, as an adult. So Uh, is science or art more essential to humanity? Science or art more essential? I think I have a good answer for this. Okay. I think it depends on how you want to look at it. So science is more essential for like staying alive, actually staying alive. But like art gives you a reason to stay alive, Mm. you know? So Ah. I think science keeps you alive, but art makes science a thing worth doing. So which one is more essential to humanity? I'm going to say art is more essential to humanity. Because if you don't have art, then sort of, um, I mean, an art can be, I mean, I think of like a relationship as art, right? It's sort of, it's, you know, but um, I'd say art because art is the reason that science matters. 
Yeah. Mm. yeah. That's a good answer. That's really good. Yeah. All right. Last one. Uh, in what era would you most like to have grown up? I liked the era that I grew up. Yes. I, I'm glad I grew up before um, social networking. Yeah. 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 Me too. Yeah. But also, I mean, I, as much injustice as in as is in the world right now, like I would not want to live in the forties or fifties mm. and I wouldn't want to live in the 1800s, you know? Why? See, I could see you going wild West. Like I could see you being, <laughs> you know, I could probably like do wild pioneer. West. Yeah. yeah. I guess it depends where in the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be kind of cool just to wander into a saloon, you know, and win yeah. 700 bucks there. <laughs> And then get in a gunfight. And, and then the guy who beat you, you pick him up and you, and you push him across the bar all the way and he's knocking all the glasses going, whoa, whoa. That'd be pretty cool too. So it's tough. It's tough. A lot of good options out there. All right. I liked it. There's there some good answers there. Uh, stay tuned. Up next, it's Slices. The City Loves Me by Buttes. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Enemy Love by John Mark McMillan. Okay, it's time for... Slices! <laughs> oh, gosh. All right, what do you have, Jesse? John Mark, that's a show far, by the way, in case you're wondering. I'm sure you, I'm sure you picked that up. <laughs> We're a Christian yes. show around here. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, I got, I'm going to do a twofer because uh, I always do. All right, that's so first good. story is, hey, do any of you guys like watching Friends on Netflix? It's one of the most popular shows on Netflix. I've never really gotten back into it, but are any of you guys Friends watchers? No. 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 I was at a time in my life definitely a Friends watcher. I haven't watched it again in a long time. Yeah. But I've probably seen every episode. Yeah, I have too. It's just it's not one of the go-tos on streaming for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's weird how much of a fun, like Netflix paid or we talked about it a couple weeks ago, you know, like 100 million dollars to keep it on Netflix for like another year because it's so popular. Especially I feel like with younger viewers who never watch it the first time around, it really right. it's called a second life. Um, but there's a company called frontierbundles.com. Basically, they're like, uh, uh, they do like different streaming packages and communication stuff. Anyway, they're doing a contest to try to find someone who will binge watch friends for 25 straight hours and live tweet it. The person Jesse, that they select, you should do this. The person they select will uh, get a thousand dollars. They'll get uh, they'll get a free year of Netflix and a bunch of friends, you know, memorabilia from Central Perk or whatever. So all you gotta do is watch 25 hours of the show, and you get the thousand bucks. But you gotta live tweet it. You gotta take like selfies of you and your friends watching the different episodes. You know, tweeting the catchphrases or whatever. And my question to you guys: If you had to watch 25 hours of a show in exchange for a thousand dollars, what would you select? Thousand dollars. Sorry, repeat. Do you have to watch it in a row? Is it? Does it have to be an all nighter mm-hmm. kind it's, of experience? It's 25 straight hours of a show. Jesse okay. and I have done this with Nicolas Cage movies. Yeah, I was about to say, you've done it, cage, Jesse. You're trapped you've, in the cage. You've done but, this. But it was for a good cause. We were raising money for others, not not for 
Jesse yeah. to get a thousand dollars. Yeah, how much did we raise? Like, like forty grand for charity water. During yeah. The, do I get to do whatever I want with that thousand dollars? Can I just like? Is it's it just yours. play it's money? Yours. Cash money. This hypothetical okay. money. You could go okay. to the casino and blow seven hundred right give off it the bat. To John Mark <laughs> to go make me money. So around the horn, real quick. Which show would you watch for a thousand dollars? Twenty five straight hours of. Seinfeld for me. I would watch oh, yeah. Seinfeld for twenty five hours. I might do that anyway. I would. <laughs> that, that's that's like a pretty issue. good Saturday, actually. Yeah, that's the issue for me. Is like Office Seinfeld ones like that. Like I've seen so much, it would actually be hard to stay plugged in. You know yeah. what I mean? Because like I literally know every word of every episode. So I'd, I'd have to go with one that I like. I'd have to go like a 30 rock or something that's like quick oh, and yeah. sharp. And I've seen yeah. it a lot, but you find nuances and new yeah. things every time you watch it. Or yes. like, or like go old school and like do like news radio. I could do a news oh, radio. Marathon. Sure. Underrated. I would yeah. probably do. I never finished Mindy project. There's like two or three seasons left on Hulu that I never watched. Yeah. So I think I could go it's back to time. the beginning and do all of Mindy project. Cause I thought that was really funny. And for some reason I just fell off the wagon. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would go for just something that'd be funny to tell people. Like, yeah, I'm watching 25 Hours of Golden Girls uh, this weekend. <laughs> Who's that? Like something yeah. I really don't have any interest in. I'm pretty agnostic about. Like, oh, yeah, you know, why not? Sure. Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, people have till September 3rd if they want to try to be the Friends Watcher. So good luck, relevant podcast listeners. You could be. Oh, I hope it's one. Can, can we make a, they'll get $1,000 and we'll bring them on the show if they do it. If it's oh, one of our sure. listeners, we'll absolutely have them 100%. on the show. Okay, and great. we'll have them on during the live watching. I will figure oh, out a way to make Brilliant, we'll Jesse. We'll figure out a way to make that happen. Okay, now I'm going to do one that's a little bit more serious, and I, I'm interested in your guys's. Uh, okay, so Pew, the research agency, recently did one of their big uh, studies. It, it involved about 11,000 Americans, and they used their method- methodology to make sure it's pretty representative. Uh, and they wanted to know how much do Americans know about the major religions? Uh, interestingly, eight in 10 U.S. adults uh, could answer a lot of really common questions about Christianity. Like they knew that Easter was about the resurrection. They knew uh, about the Last Supper. They knew the doctrine of the Trinity. They, they also knew things like that uh, Moses was a figure who led the Exodus out of Egypt. They know that David killed Goliath. Like eight out of 10 recognized those things. Now, there was a significant drop when it was uh, information, other basic information about other major religions. For example, only six in 10 adults knew that Ramadan was the Islamic holy month. And uh, only three in 10 U.S. adults knew that the Jewish Sabbath begins on Friday. Also, uh, not a lot of people knew that the Jewish uh, New Year was Rosh Hashanah. Uh, they did, uh, most Americans didn't know much at all about Buddhism. And what they also found is that the the groups of the population that were most likely to be able to answer the most questions across the board were actually the Jewish population. They knew a lot about Islam, Christianity, Buddhism and atheism. And and coming in second and third was atheists and agnostics. They were all significantly higher than mainline Protestants who were pretty far down the list. Uh, So. What it what the what the the study ended up showing is obviously like most of the population says that they're Christian. So it's not super surprising that uh, most of the population knows basic stuff about Christianity. But Christians out of all the groups were one that really didn't know a lot of things about belief systems other than their own. Uh, I thought that was really interesting, but I wanted to kind of pin it, you know, shoot it to you guys. 
Do you guys think that Christians should do a better job of at least being aware of the belief systems of some of these other major religions in uh, that share our population? I mean, I'm going to say I think we should. Yeah, I, 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 that's what I was thinking, too. Like, it, it makes sense that the atheist knows more than we do about other religions, because uh, I figured if you're going to just totally tap out of religion, you ought to try a few, you yeah. know, and not just be like yeah. one and done kind of thing. Like, yeah, I think we should know. I, I, it is, you know, growing up. Uh, there was a lot of pressure to like, don't try anything else. You might like this other religion. So don't, you know, Yeah. Yeah. but gosh, I mean, if you're going to make like a, (laughs) uh, if you're going to make a, um, a a real decision about anything, shouldn't you like have some basic knowledge of uh, the other options? I mean, you know, are you actually choosing Christianity if you don't even know what's happening? Right. elsewhere in the yeah. uh, religious world you know is it actually a choice or is it just i think that that speaks to the cultural christianity it's yeah. kind of like you just kind of yeah. came up in the church you went every once in a while or whatever you kind of get the main plot points and you aren't really exploring the other religions whereas uh, I, academic you know rigor is a big part of the jewish faith and yeah. and and obviously atheists and agnostics kind of they chose what they chose because they've explored the options and, and, you know, rejected them. So they're more yeah. informed. I, I, yeah, it doesn't shock me at all. Yeah. Annie, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I, th- I mean, I've been thinking, you know, it's very similar. I think y'all can all correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels very similar to how often we expect everyone to know English, right? Like mm. we just expect everyone else in the world to know English. And if they don't, then they're in the wrong versus us recognizing that we aren't the only language that matters. And, and so I think it, there is something in us. And when I think about growing up, I don't remember until I got to college learning about world religions beyond very basic things. Yeah. Um, but I also grew up in the South and I grew up in a Christian home and I grew up where that was where we went to church and spoke English. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's just kind of, yeah, it does. Your survey you found does not surprise me at all. Yeah. And I do think it's kind of interesting, you know, speaking to sort of like the golden rule thing of like, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. And like, that's easy with like the easy stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy to, to, you know, be polite and kind. But when it's like, yeah, I would appreciate if my, friends and people that I interact with that don't believe like me had some understanding and compassion for my Mm -hmm. views. But I feel like that expectation also should probably extend to me. And you look at like Paul, he used examples from, you know, Greek culture and Greek philosophy and, you know, the religions, the world religions at the time as sort of like entry points into conversations with with people that he was trying to communicate the gospel to. So I do. I felt like it was an interesting study, but not one that was particular surprising. But I hope it's one that like in the future generation, Christians can be right up there at the top of the list, not so far down that we're the ones who don't know about anyone other than ourselves. It was a kind of a telling survey, but again, one that probably the results weren't that surprising. But I think you know, hopefully could lead to change. I don't know if it will, but yeah. What does it make you think? I mean, all three of y'all are raising kids. What does it make you think about when you're raising your kids? Oh, I, I, Cohen, I, through travel and other things, I want to expose him to a lot of different cultures and, and viewpoints and all that. And kind of, you know, I don't think I'm not scared of his horizons being broadened and that, that he drifts because of it. I think you'll have mm-hmm. more well-rounded faith and worldview, you know, and I, and I want that for him. So. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. Like I, I want my kids to experience a lot of different things. You know, I want them to come to I want them to choose. I don't want 
right. Jesus yeah. to be forced on it, you know, right. and I got to believe that um, if Jesus is it, then you can put Jesus in the ring with the others and he'll yeah. come up victorious. I just hate that statement. By the way, that shows. No, that's good. <laughs> it's not a fight. I don't picture Christian it? bookstore you know? painting of like Jesus in a boxing Jesus ring. Jesus is going to win. Oiled up. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm saying, I guess we don't really, I don't think we have to be afraid that these other influences are going to be stronger than us. Yeah. All my language is terrible. It's all so tribalistic, prevail, you know, but it's, you know, but what am I trying to say here? Make me sound smart, guys. There's a no, lot of, there's yeah, a type of uh, Christian parenting that we've all seen in ex- some experience where it's like you put such tight clamps on the kids to protect them from the evils of the bad way. And you just, the thing that you're, you know, when they go off on their own, they, they many times rebel against it because yeah. they, yeah. you know, have to go explore and learn on their own or whatever. And it's like the thing that the parents were afraid of is inevitably going to probably happen. And it's just like, how, how can we guide without, you know, doing making that mistake is going to be an interesting thing to yeah and even like churches i feel like could do a little bit better job i mean obviously the job of the church you know to some degree a job of the church is to equip people with the gospel and and the truth but at the same time like i would rather it seems like more helpful to people to come to the writings of someone like a you know, Sam Harris or, you know, Christopher Hitchens or someone like that on the, on term with other Christians and sort of in an environment where there's open discussion and the ability to kind of have the support of a community than just like going out and discovering on your own and feel like you have this forbidden book that you're not supposed to read. So you're just, you know what I mean? And like, I've seen that happen to a lot of, you know, strong believers. They encounter ideas that are really challenging to some of the, uh, foundations of Christianity, but because they discovered it alone or with not the support of other Christians, it's really swayed them in a way that's not good. It didn't strengthen their faith. It it really damaged it. So it does seem like something that not just like parents, but I feel like churches in general could do a better job of. Yep. Yeah. And I've, I've started to wonder too, if maybe I've had a bad idea of what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't seem that Christ is asking for allegiance the way a person would, you know, like it doesn't seem like Jesus is asking, you know, Hey, be on my team. It's almost like he's saying, if you do what I do, then you're on my team. Right. Yeah. Hmm. You know? And I like, I've even thought of it this way. Like Jesus isn't so much the like coach or the team owner. Like Jesus is the game. Right. Mm. And so it's sort of like, it's not really about, I I don't know to me more and more. It's not about like picking a side, picking a religion, picking a, belief as much as it is like a practice right yeah you can pledge allegiance to you know jesus and still never really enter into the <laughs> the practice yeah right? i think still that's, that's, that's become the, abundantly clear like in recent <laughs> yeah i mean i'm not you know interpret that however you will but like you know <laughs> that certainly seems observably true you know i don't know jesse with the hot take yeah, yeah. jesse yeah. always it's that really? Golden Girls influence on him. Yeah, yeah, it's that twenty-five hours of Golden Girls without if sleep. If more people would encounter, it would encounter a day's worth of Golden Girls. They'd be way more <laughs> equipped for the value systems of the, the Boca Vista community. No, where they that's lived. Seinfeld. And I know, that's, I know. I don't know the community they live in. in they Golden had Girls. their own home. They didn't live in a retirement community. I thought they did. I thought it was like the one that <gasps> no, Kramer they became their president. own house, Jesse. They're they independent house, women. Man. Jeez, strong independent women. I didn't say roommates. they weren't independent. They just were. 
older and I feel like older people lived in Florida retirement communities. That shows my ignorance to the Golden Girls. And obviously, yeah, I should enjoy that. My parents hours. should have done a better job exposing me to that than <laughs> to weird action movies and Seinfeld when I was a kid. So there you go. Uh, what do you have, Annie? Okay, I need to know. I don't know this about any of y'all. Tell me your level of DIY-ness. How good are you at home repair things? Zero. <laughs> 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10? Absolutely. I'm terrible. I can do anything. Terrible. I can't uh, wow. fix anything. Yeah, yeah, anything beyond changing a light bulb, I'm like, we got to call somebody. Like, uh, I don't know who we're calling. Grass. Go on Craigslist, get somebody in here because there's no way I can unclog that sink. I'm not even going to attempt because I will absolutely make the problem worse. Not even close. It's, yeah. So, okay. So let me tell you this survey that I found. Um, it said that millennials, those people between 25 and 34 came in. <laughs> Rock bottom in a test of basic DIY jobs like changing a light bulb, fixing wobbly furniture, or stopping a door hinge from squeaking. So they even did worse than Generation Z, who's the 18 to 24 range. So they gave them nine, 2,000 people, they gave them nine pretty simple DIY tasks like changing a light bulb. And the millennials were the least capable to do any of them. The very top, the best were people over 55. Of course. That's all they have to do. That's all they do is tinker in the garage all day. <laughs> to be fair, but to be, to be fair to these millennials, two of the two of the three out of the three of the things I'm not very confident in. And if you're talking about one of those weird fluorescent bulbs that have like the two prong things you got to turn in, I'm about 50 50 on that, guys, because I've broken one. I've literally broken one trying to install it before. And I'm like, oh, we should have like called somebody. We, there's no reason I should be dealing with a dangerous fluorescent light bulb. We could call somebody. I call my dad. Oh, my Let's get him over here. Everyone hates and say, well, they're all still living at home anyway, right? So, right. Oh. There you go. Well Either that done. or they're still in college, you know? <laughs> they've yeah, been they in college no for like 20 years. They live in 10 years of college. Space. Sorry. I'm terrible. Everyone hates me. I just got disowned and unfollowed, but sorry. sorry. It wasn't I the point I know I'm wrong, but I couldn't help it. Yeah, I can't do anything either. I can't fix a single thing in my house. I'm, yeah. And that's not a female problem. It's purely that I just have never learned. My dad wasn't very handy. And so I just, I wasn't, didn't have the daddy like change the oil on our car or he did lots of other great things, but handy was not one of them. And I don't know how to do anything. Th th this is how unhandy I am. They ha there's a chair in our house. That's like, it, it, it's like, um, it's, it rocks and it has a couple of components to it and something on it broke. And so, uh, I had another family member in town visiting and they wrote a note and put it on the chair. Like, no one's sitting <gasps> this. The chair's broken. And I would just walk <laughs> by that note for like three months. And then one day I'm like, you know, I'm just taking the note off. I'm going to leave the chair broken, but at least I don't have a note sitting on it because that looks very tacky. And that was like, yep, problem solved. No one's sitting there. Just <laughs> friendly solved. reminder. Friendly reminder. I'm just too cheap. That's all. Like over the years, like I if I weird. if I want something to be done, I'll just have to figure out a way to do it or, you know, watch a YouTube video or something. And like I if I can figure out how to do it on my own, then I don't have to pay anybody. That would be my mm -hmm. thing. See, I'm cheap it's, too. I'm cheap too. But I also know me trying to do this is gonna end up being far more expensive than <laughs> someone, you know, getting yeah. a professional that actually. I'm knows right there with doing. you. Yeah. All right. And bringing bring in a slice today. Yes. What do you have, John Mark? Okay, so I read this a while back. I was gonna ask Cameron about this. Because you live in Orlando, right? Right, yep. I do. And, uh, but I read this a while back, and I woke up thinking about this. I don't know why I woke up thinking about this. Okay. But apparently, people keep scattering their ashes at Disneyland. 
That's what? <laughs> According to the Wall Street Journal, custodians at the famous theme parks are claiming that not only do guests bring their family's ashes to scatter, they do so often enough to prompt a special code word for it. What? What's, What's the code, the code word? word? Deepa cleanup, referring to an ultrafine vacuum cleaner. It oh. apparently happens so often, they have a special term for it on their little radio. We got a heap oh of... Where do they... Gosh. Yeah, what do they do? Where do they, they suck them up, I wonder. I don't know. They, you know what they do is they, 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 they put it in like a machine and condense it all down and eventually they become figures and it's a small world. It's terrifying. Those are all, those are all hardened bodies. Dude, I was thinking... I was thinking like, okay, yeah, there's a fairy, you know, and like, okay, so they're out and the, okay, it was a special place for the family and grandma wants to be at Disney, but I didn't think about the rides. Like, I wonder if people are like in Space Mountain doing that, it. See, that's what, that's what I immediately thought of like the big, the last scene in the Big Lebowski where like they're going, like, I want you to throw my ashes into the wind on the descent of Space Mountain. And you know, that person out front just throws the ashes and they just blow right back in the face of the person behind them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Oh, gosh. Gross. It tastes like the, it's I a small this. world smells. Yeah. apparently the haunted mansion is one of the number one places that people do this oh well there's ghosts and spooks and stuff so now yeah yeah. dude that's creepy i I don't i don't like the idea of cremation or i don't like covert spreading of ashes it just feels it feels really gross to me yeah like I don't even want when someone's I, I feel like human remains like there's got to be something. There's a reason we put them deep in the ground. It's just gross. Like, yeah, it, it's a burned up body. Like, it's so weird. You know, I'm like, I'm no. thinking about the mindset of the person who's in the haunted mansion ride and then they're sprinkling it onto the ground. I mean, they like in the ride, they know that the lights come on after hours and they vacuum and sweep up grandma. I mean, that's horrible. Like, <laughs> That's bad for grandma. Like like doing the bushes or something, you know? Like Uh-huh. John Mark, what what are your feelings about cremate getting ashes spread? Is that how you want to go? I I don't think so. I think I want to be think I want to be buried. I I heard I heard a scientist talk about this one time when you're cremated, all your there's energy in your body, you know? Like Yeah. Yeah. You create body heat, right? Yeah. All your energy is gone. It's it's it goes into space. You know, it, it yeah. uh, you know, heat rises, it leaves your body. It's gone. It's when you're buried, it, all that energy goes into the ground. I kind of like giving my energy. So you're part of the system the earth, again. You're you like know? helping back out to the planet yeah. if you get buried. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, you know, give it back instead of just giving it away. Let's do something that's beneficial for the. I, I heard wow. about like these holistic, I don't know. I don't, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I've read about sometime like some sort of like holistic, funeral thing where they would like bury you in like organic stuff and then plant a tree like right over where your body is. So as you decompose, you're like fueling the tree. So people can go back, visit this, the tree. Now, if I hadn't already decided on my Viking funeral where <laughs> I have said this a million times before, but it's true. Yes, you have. How I'm going is I will be pushed out to sea on like it's a little stupid. raft and I will be covered in very flammable materials. Everyone on the beach gets a flaming arrow. The person that hits me and sets me ablaze, they get all my stuff. That's how I'm going out. If that doesn't work out, if the city gets involved again, then I'll do the tree thing. So that's I've already decided. That's how I'm going. So, 
Either that or the descent of Space Mountain. Just throw my ashes. Yeah, I was about to say, what ride would you want to be yeah. tossed around in if you threw your ashes at Disney World? Well, what's the thinking process? I can imagine somebody would want to be scattered at Disneyland, but is Disneyland that important for that many people? Like that, your final resting place is going to be at Disneyland. Like, I don't know. I have a hard time understanding the thinking. Maybe they had a really great time. Maybe their parents took them there when they were kids, and their parents passed away and that's their favorite memory i'm trying to i'm trying to think through this like why you would want to do that instead of being like scattered on the grand there's a lot of disney fanatics out there though yeah there are people that are freaks about disney and mine would be okay i have very specific instruction find the funnel cake stand (laughs) put me in the container with the powdered sugar and that way my remains will always be walking around disney with gas i will be I'll, I'll always be on vacation at that point. So. Jesse, yes. the happiest, Do the right thing here. Happiest Find place in the, the world. coffee machine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want, want to be consumed. I want by to be drinking by Disney employees. Yes. <laughs> oh, in the the mm, this is a this is a nutty blend we got today. What is this? Oh, what kind of earthy? Kind of earthy. Very earthy. Yeah. Very earthy. Is this from Guatemala? This <laughs> tastes like yeah. this tastes like it's a small world smells. <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for slices. Stay tuned. Up next, Lisa Sharon Harper joined us. You're listening to Get Puncher by Futuristic featuring Andy Minio. Well, Lisa Sharon Harper is an author, speaker, and founder of the justice group Freedom Road. She's also Auburn Seminary's senior fellow, and her latest book is called The Very Good Gospel, How Everything Wrong Can Be Made Right. Lisa was one of 40 activists, artists, leaders, and influencers to take part in a series of roundtable conversations in the 100th issue of Relevant, which is out now. Uh, Specifically, we were discussing the future of the church and the issues that will shape it moving forward. Uh, Tyler, you are the one who had the conversation with Lisa. Tell us about it. Yeah, so it, it was really a really rich conversation with Lisa. She She's such a... I, I was really uh, impressed and learned a lot from her command of American history and, and the way the ways that she... When she we ask her for an overview of what, uh, of what she sees as being sort of indicative of the last 15 years of, of faith history here in the States, she has dates and, and a lot of factual knowledge to back it up. I was, I was really overwhelmed. She pointed out something that was really interesting when I asked her about how she's seen the faith conversation change, how she's seen the faith conversation change in the US because she pointed out that while there was a time sort of in the late 2000s, early 2010, 11, 12, uh, where evangelicals were very interested in social justice issues when you saw a lot of the movement with Darfur uh, and you saw a big rise in the push for to combat human trafficking among the church. And then she thought that seemed to hit sort of a roadblock around 2014, 2015. And here's why. And that is where we began to see the clear break between which which parts of the church actually really understood justice as integral to the gospel, as integral to the scripture itself, and which parts didn't. And I think, unfortunately, that what that revealed was that the, the far greater portion of the evangelical church in particular really 
um, uh, had no value or very little value for justice when it came home on our home turf. We we valued um, we valued justice when we could point the finger at a, at another foreign nation like like Sudan and say this horrible thing is bad. But we didn't have, and I don't think we, I still think we don't have, um, the nuance and the understanding of, of justice, of biblical justice and the call to shalom that it takes for us to begin to, to free focus on ourselves, on our own land, on what happened here, and understand the intricacies of the construct of race and what that did and the project to maintain the, the, the ever-present project since the 18, late 1860s to present to maintain the supremacy of whiteness through the, the political system within America and the law within America. So obviously uh, referring to the sort of the coming home of a justice movement here in the U.S. with things like what happened to Eric Garner, Mike Brown, Tamir Rice. Uh, that situation was what really brought the justice conversation home. And obviously, it was much more divisive among Christians on a social justice perspective than things were when you're talking about overseas justice issues. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, looking back at the evolution of how large portions of the American church have approached social justice issues, you know, especially over the span of our 100 issues. Like she was saying, it's very non controversial in a lot of ways to. Um, you know, look at issues that are happening in faraway places that, you know, we don't fully understand the social complexities of, but when they come home and, you know, like it's time to align and ally with like the Black Lives Matter, Latter, Matter movement, you know, you, you see these sort of um, divisions in the church that are, are really unfortunate, but I think it's it's an important point that she she points out that it it shouldn't it shouldn't be like that. No, and as she points out, it, it would be if you were to read about some of the things that do happen here, happen to people like Sandra Bland, uh, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin. If you were to read about those happening in other countries, it'd be very shocking and very concerning to see yeah. that these sorts of things were happening. But, and uh, but, but when you're here it feels much closer to home and, and it attacks some of your preconceived notions about the kind of country you live in. And then it becomes very difficult. Um, I, I asked her because she, she was very interested in social justice as being part of the gospel. Um, I, I brought up to her that I've spoken with a few people, both, both friends of mine and, and some Christian leaders, even for irrelevant, I've spoken with some, some Christian leaders who perceive that maybe the, emphasis that the modern church in America is developing on social justice is getting a little out of balance, that maybe there's been an overcorrection from a time in maybe the 1900s where social justice was not seen as being part of the gospel at all, to now maybe is there a, a worry that social justice become too much of a focus for the gospel? And she, uh, I would say she disagreed. Uh, here is her take on that. I think you have to ask the, the critical question here. It's who does that gospel, who does that good news benefit? When they talk about the centrality of the gospel, I want to ask whose gospel, whose good news? You see, that gospel, that gospel that, 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 that takes justice, the value of justice, and pushes it to the margin and spiritualizes, over-spiritualizes every reference to justice more than 2,000 in the scripture. 
that gospel is handed to us from the social location of people of nations who financed slavery, of nations who colluded with, partnered with, and became empire. And yet, Jesus was brown, indigenous. In other words, he had a relationship with the land that went back thousands of years. And he was colonized by empire. So, who are you going to go to in order to understand the brown colonized Jesus and what he says is the good news? Are you going to go to the slaveholder or the slave? Hmm. Yeah, it's such it's such powerful thoughts that you know really put the. Uh, you know, social and historical context of the Bible and the gospel into perspective. You know, I, I, I read an activist recently say on Twitter, you know, that they, they've been accused of like preaching the quote unquote social justice gospel. And their response was, no, I'm preaching the gospel. Like that is, uh, Mm -hmm. that is central to it, you know? So it's, yeah. And the question of who this is good news for, obviously, like if there is a, if you have a gospel that really challenges the status quo that suggests that maybe things shouldn't be the way they are, then that's, uh, then that's going to be very good news for people in a certain positions of, of authority and power and influence in yeah. the U.S., but it is not going to be good news for people who have been historically marginalized. And, and what Lisa is suggesting is that maybe that's not the, historically that has not been the tone of the gospel. So I, I admire the challenge that 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 brings. And, and I hope that people who are concerned about what has been called sometimes derisively, the social gospel can take that to heart. Uh, and then I ask for people who are, 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 have been confronted with the realities of race and the way that it's sort of uh, the way the white supremacy has sort of infected some of the ways we talk about Christianity here in the States. What can we do? Uh, what, what's the, what, what's the step forward for people who are willing to listen and who are, who are interested in, in making a change and she said, uh, she said very plainly, uh, it's time for, we're, we're at a come to Jesus moment in this country. People of European descent really are in a come to Jesus moment right now. Because it's in this moment where we have babies in cages, we have children killing themselves, or dying in, in detention centers on our southern border. We have cops using, um, using labels like gang or, or drugs in order to do major sweeps, sweeps of black neighborhoods that fill our jails even after the new Jim Crow came out and after Obama's initiatives to, to begin to, to deconstruct mass incarceration. The current administration is actually putting all those measures back in place, and it's happening and I think that folks really, it's a come to Jesus moment because people have to really decide which Jesus are they worshiping? That's a question that comes up in, with, in conversation with her a lot is, is who, who is your Jesus? What, what does yeah. your Jesus look like? What does your Jesus represent to you? And is that an accurate portrayal of the Jesus that we have in the Bible? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, and, and 
Lisa speaks with such honesty and clarity and conviction on these topics that, you know, I think I think part of what was so incredible about her contributions, not just to this conversation, but, you know, in the the issue 100 roundtable is her ability to kind of uh, show the evolution of these ideas, not only in like a historical context, but also in the context of how it's affecting the church, just not on the political level, but we see, you know, destructive ideologies in powerful institutions trickle down and infiltrate the church. And, you know, she does such an incredible job at sounding the alarm on that. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's extremely well, uh, well versed in that history and in some of the shapes that uh, particularly politically and socially uh, the ways that, that Christians have occasionally uh, taken action against these destructive social movements, political movements, and some of the ways that they have succumbed to them. So if that's something that, that interests you, then I would absolutely encourage you to look up more of her work, uh, follow her on Twitter and uh, obviously check out our conversation with her in issue 100. Yeah. Well, that was Lisa Sharon Harper. Make sure to read more in the issue 100 of Relevant. It's out now. You can check it out at relevantmagazine.com. Stay tuned. Up next, it's your feedback. like to think the church is a haven for the hurting, but what happens when it's not? The passion behind the Me Too and Church Too movements show no signs of relenting. As more stories of abuse and secrecy within the church unfold, it's clear that this is not yesterday's problem or a Hollywood problem. This is our problem, and survivors are speaking up. Author and advocate Mary DeMuth is using her voice to dare the church to listen. DeMuth's new book, We Too, unpacks the church's historical response to sexual violence and provides a healthy framework for a new way forward. We Too urges the church to become what it should be, a place of security instead of shame. We all know someone affected by sexual abuse. It's time to listen, act, and help find the road to healing. Visit wetoobook.com for information and resources. That's wetoobook.com. You're listening to Summer Sun by Kennedy Williams and LAVL. Uh, okay, it's time for your feedback. Last week, we asked you what professional activity you think you could jump into and do <laughs> without any professional experience if there was some sort of like fan zone opportunity. Yeah. So we got we told you about the news about the fan at the uh, Oakland A's game where they were doing the thing where they clocked the fastballs for the fans. And this guy consistently was throwing mid 90s yeah. and they ended up signing him because it was like unbelievable professional level talent. We want to know what sort of event, if there was a fan zone for you to participate as an amateur, would you get called up and uh, be able to do professionally? You guys hit us up on Twitter at relevant podcast. And here's a few of our favorites. I think there's two overarching themes, Jesse. Did you see this? Two overarching themes. Number one, if there was a fan zone, 
for doing the relevant podcast. A lot of people yeah, think that, that was they, offensive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you think that, this is easy? Just ask John Mark how hard this is. John Mark, tell him it's hard. Don't tell him that this is bad. <laughs> don't tell him it's don't tell him the truth. It's been numbingly easy. <laughs> uh, the other one was, uh, like Kara said, if they had a fan zone at Bethel or Hillsong, I could jump in and lead worship. <laughs> You're without- brutal. Okay, here's the thing. And I know, uh, John Mark, you run in circles with some of these cats, but whenever I see like a Hillsong or Bethel thing, I'm like, okay, there's like 15 people on stage right now. Yeah, and I guarantee you, three of those instruments aren't even plugged in right now. Like I could be, I could like be the back of guitar player just rocking it out, and it's like no one's gonna literally no one know. Or I'd be like the percussionist, where if you're in that big arena, no one's hearing my tambourine if it's a little bit off, or the or you know just the rain stick at the beginning of the real slow song. I could do that. Like yeah. you could, you, all I'm saying, you could throw me up on stage with one of those big worship you could bands, contribute. and yeah. I could find a way to look like I belong there. No one would. No, I agree with that person. No, you wouldn't be wrong. You wouldn't be totally wrong. <laughs> okay, this is from a, a, a listener named Tyler. He said, uh, I could go pro in most of the ESPN Ocho sports. So they, they, they did this again the other weekend where they made ESPN two. They actually made it the joke from dodgeball where they called it ESPN the Ocho and they just had like insane sports playing all day. So he said, stone skipping, chess boxing. <laughs> Chess boxing. What is chess that? Chess boxing. So between, I I think it's between chess moves. You 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 like exchange some punches. Oh, uh, yeah, I would love that so much. Uh, really? Putt putt championship, lawnmower wrestling, world sign spinning championships. Uh, Tyler thinks he could jump right in. The only one I feel like I could jump in and honestly compete with professionals is probably lawnmower racing. I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine there's anything. It seems like the lawnmowers do most of the work there. You know, you said compete with professionals. There are professional lawnmower racers. Semi pro. I'm sorry. Semi professional. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I want to. Don't want to. Uh, Tim, Tim, that was unnecessary. You said you guys make me feel like I could probably be a professional podcaster. <laughs> he said by like tomorrow. That was the comma hey, between like what, and Tim? tomorrow felt real personal, yeah. Tim. Guess what, yeah. Tim? You know what's stopping you from doing a podcast? Nothing. So let's hear it. Let's hear it, Chiefs. You see how easy this is. <laughs> Tim actually says, I think I could be a tournament fisherman in about five minutes. Give me a boat and gear. I mean, gear. I agree with that. That feels incredibly easy. Yeah. If you have the pro gear and the pro boat and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I have spent too much time trying to catch fish and gone home empty-handed. Like, I, when I go fishing, I more often than not don't catch anything. Yeah, so it I'm always tough. shocked when someone catches. It's it's like the, but I think the really good fishermen, it's the science of it. They understand yeah. the 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 habits of the depth and the water is sure, this sure. temperature, so they're going to want to eat this sort of thing. Like whenever we go fly fishing in Montana, like the guides are like putting on different types of bugs depending on the time of day. And yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know that science stuff. And I always tell the guy, listen, man, I know you're trying to help me here, but that's not going to help at all. I'm terrible at this and nothing you do is going to help me catch any trout out of this, out of this <laughs> river. Nothing. Nothing's going to help. I was whenever I like sometimes on ESPN, they'll have like professional bass fishing on, you know, yeah. Yeah. and it's yeah. like. But my favorite thing about the professional bass fishing is like the guys are dressed like stock car drivers. Like they're in like a fire suit. They have like the, you know, a thousand sponsors all over. They look like real athletes. And it's like, yeah. I'm going to be honest, it's hard to get in the excitement of this when you're just putzing around on a boat with a trolling motor. Like in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, 
like in a lake in Arkansas. There's like, they're like, they say it's not like in the Amazon or something. Like this, there's people sitting on the shore at their backyard cooking out while you're having a bass fishing tournament. It's just not my excitement. There needs to be some element of danger out there. Like for sports to really get me, I someone yeah. there has to be at least a chance someone's gonna get hurt, and bass fishing doesn't have that. You know. So what would you do to spice up bat, like fishing tournaments to add the adrenaline angle that you're looking for? I I would I would make them halfway through the tournament everyone's got to jump off the boat and the boats drive away and then because of survival <laughs> tournament open water situation open water it's like a Navy SEAL type of thing. I think you should use paintball guns and. If you shoot the other people in the other boat, you get to take their fish. And so it's not really about who catches the <laughs> oh most that's, fish. That's great. It's also about that's who's great. able to that's maintain really their fish, to hold on to their fish. <laughs> I like that a lot. I like that. That is great. Yeah, that you would know, be okay, thrilling. I'm going to step it up a notch because it's like while the fish, while the fishermen are hunting fish, they yeah. are being hunted. So what if there's only one boat driving around taking people out with a, with a paintball gun? Go. So you're all like trying to elude this hunter. You know, it, it, it's very meta. I like it. It's kind of the food chain type of situation. <laughs> the strategy I would, the strategy I had to have is just like, let lay low, you know, let everybody get their fishing in, you know, they catch a bunch of fish and then you just go around and snipe them all and take yeah. their fish. Oh, like I don't yeah. even need to catch anything. Yep. Like chess game at this point. Oh, Wait, I'll yeah, turn this good. thing real dangerous for the humans. That's what we need. Now, and now everyone's watching. Now everyone's like, <laughs> you hear about this fishing tournament where they're shooting people with paintball guns? We got to see it. Um, <laughs> Bryce said, I hope to go to a lightsaber dueling tournament and be discovered. I've been practicing since I was five. Hey, real talk. Cameron, I sent you a picture of this one day. The rec center that I go to to play basketball at sometimes has on like every other Saturday, they have legit lightsaber tournaments there where these cats show up with their lightsabers and they battle right there. And there's like judging and points and a whole deal. Having watched a lot and watching the athletes that participate, yeah. I'm extremely confident I could win one of those tournaments mm, just with brute extremely. force, just with brute swing wildly. Dude, I told you when I lived at my last house, there was a big city park out front. And on Saturdays, they would have LARPing tournaments. And uh, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing, isn't it? Like yeah, lightsabers and LARPing? Except without medieval to tools, you have like lightsabers, you know? Yeah. Joe Mark, how do you think you'd fare at a lightsaber tournament? I don't think I would do that great. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I would do that great. My kids I, got this little toy where like you wear a vest and like if you touch it with the sword, like it goes off. So it's like real fancy. Because you know you do that fake plane where like really the other person is really just trying to hit your stick, right? Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. Yeah. Like how often do you really like, all right, I'm going to hit you with the stick and you're going to try and block me with your stick. Right. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. like, you're both in on the joke until like, okay, I got this little shoulder pads. I got this little vest. You hit me three times and I'm dead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I realized that's really hard. I would die in a duel in an actual <laughs> duel. I would die so fast. It's funny when I was a kid and I watched like a movie that had sword fighting in it. And I thought that was the point of sword fighting. It's like, <laughs> I don't know what this resolves, but it, they just run at each other and try to hit swords. Like, that's what it looks yeah. like when you watch it in the movies. You know, it's right. like a dance. Yeah. All right. Well, there's more feedback where that came from. Go check it out on our Twitter page. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. All right, well, earlier in the show, we were getting to know John Mark McMillan, and we thought today's question of the week should be one of those questions. So today's question of the week is, what's the biggest lie you told as a child? Mm. What's the biggest oh, lie 
you told hey, I, and, and tell us the outcome too like did you ever get caught are you finally getting off your chest or did it uh, blow up in your face immediately yeah because is this the first time you're telling us I have a I have a feeling there's gonna be a lot of people that are like this will be the first time they've admitted yeah, to they've this lie. I mean, John Mark, I he was he's walking lighter now that the baseball story is out there in the open and everyone knows the lie behind the grand slam. So this is your <laughs> opportunity, people. <laughs> well, many thanks to Lisa Sharon Harper for joining us. Make sure to follow her on Twitter at Lisa Sharper. Lisa S. Harper. And uh, read more of that conversation in issue 100 of Relevant. It's out now. You can view it at relevantmagazine.com and it's available at newsstands nationwide. Also, hey, thank you. Huge thank you to John Mark McMillan for sitting in for the whole show. This was a lot of fun, man. So yeah, man. fun. Yeah, thank you guys. It's a blast. Way to start my week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's, you did great. The very first question on a Monday morning, it was, uh, do you have more father or mother issues? <laughs> <laughs> jump, jump, coming in hot, coming the, in hot, adrenaline right? flowing, the emotional adrenaline. Uh, economy is for sale now on vinyl. Go check it out and uh, make sure to follow John Mark at John Mark MC on Twitter. Uh, well, on that note, we'll wrap things up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Chandler Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Annie F. Downs. I'm John Mark McMillan. We will see you on Friday. Have a great week, everyone. Suffer for my savage love. Thank you for listening to the Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from the Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. What is that? Oh, gosh. It tastes like the It's a Small World smells. Relevant Podcast Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.